I'll have what she's having. I love relationships. I love romantic comedies. I love love. We don't know what Cinderella looked like because she's not real. Yes, they freaking got it. Really earn that happily ever after at the end. Change the writing. It's not that hard. Hello, fellow hopeful romantics, and welcome to What She's Having, presented by me, Cute. Wear a glass of rosé. It's not required, but it is certainly encouraged. I'm your host, Ashley Eskew, and our guest today has been called the real-life Carrie Bradshaw. Hannah Orenstein is the senior dating editor at Elite Daily and is the author of three novels, working on her fourth. Uh, She's written Playing With Matches, Love at First Like, and now Head Over Heels, which has been called the best book of the season by Oprah Magazine, Cosmo, Marie Claire. And honestly, if Oprah said that I was great at anything, I'd feel like my work on this planet was done. Hannah has written for The Washington Post, Cosmopolitan, Marie Claire, Refinery29, BuzzFeed, Bustle. I think you can see now why people compare her to Carrie Bradshaw and is always speaking and sharing about love and romance. Um, She started out her career as an editor at 17, and at 21, she became the youngest matchmaker at a top dating service, which she speaks a little bit about. She's just a dear heart and a great soul, and hopefully for the next 25 minutes, I did a good job being the Charlotte Miranda I don't know who I am to her, Carrie Bradshaw. It is my pleasure to share with you all Hannah Orenstein. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you, Hannah? Good. I'm so looking forward to this. This will be so much fun. Oh, thanks. It's so nice to meet you. I'm very jealous you're in New York. (laughs) Oh, where are you? Los Angeles. Amazing. Well, you have sunshine and beaches. Sure, but I lived in Hell's Kitchen for a few years, and there's something special about New York, especially when you work in romance. Yes. Well, Hannah, you are fascinating to me. You were a matchmaker at the age of 21. How does someone even fall into a position like that? So that's a good question. I was way in over my head. I got my start setting up couples around my college campus. I went to NYU and I would set up other students and then I would write about it once a week for our school's blog. And it was okay. I had an okay time doing it. And then after about a year, I crossed paths with Eugene Carroll, who was at the time an editor at Elle legendary writer and editor. She's one of the reasons I wanted to be a writer. And she was launching a matchmaking company. And I said, I will do literally anything if it means that I can work with you and learn from you. And she's like, great, come along, be a matchmaker. And so I did it the summer after my junior year of college. I was 21. My clients were in their 30s and 40s and wanted to get married. And I had no idea how to get married and still have no idea how to get married. And I was really just trying to do my best, but failing. And that led to my first novel, Playing With Matches, which is about a matchmaker in New York City. At that age, I had no idea who I was or what I wanted, let alone being able to decide that for anyone else. What inside of you made you qualified for that position? I have no doubt. I have watched so many of your interviews now and read so much of your writing that you were good at it because I think you're someone that doesn't let yourself not be amazing. That's my assessment. That's very kind of you. I was a bad matchmaker, for sure. (laughs) 
appreciate your honesty. Um, but you know, it's, it's about really forming a personal connection with somebody. And a lot of people have a lot of hangups about dating. It can be awkward. It can bring up their insecurities. It can make them feel like not the best version of themselves. So it's about being a positive face who says like, Hey, we're on a team. We're going to solve this together. And then it's a lot of really basic professional skills, you know, like reaching out to new people and planning, you know, Hey, let's set you up on a date. Here's where you're going to go do some date research, book a reservation, follow up the next day. So I'm grateful for all of the skills that taught me there because I think it just set me up for the rest of my career. So everybody should be a matchmaker at least once. I'm so impressed you just reached out to one of your role models and were like, I want to work with you. And the opportunity appeared. That's incredible. I was an intern at Elle when she was an editor and I got to do a four hour transcription. None of the interns wanted to do a four hour transcription because that's hours and hours and hours of work. But to be a fly on the wall for four hours of Eugene's conversations, I was like, yes, sign me up. What's the worst dating story you heard during all your matchmaking days? Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) I think, (laughs) pick up playing with matches. But I think um, one of the things that surprised me the most was a client who was really type A, really ambitious, really organized. And she presented me with a seven page document of all of her checklists and non-negotiables and approved celebrity lookalikes and bios of her three most recent exes with full color photos. And it was just a lot of information. And I love that you're bringing so much attention to your search for finding a partner, but I think you also have to be open to a little element of chance. Yeah, that's true. Well, like you said, I will pick up playing with matches, but you kind of recently released Head Over Heels. That was your first novel playing with matches. Now you're on your third. It's set in the gymnastics world. And for a rom-com, you explore some darker themes like sexual and emotional abuse, eating disorders, depression. Why did you think it was essential to tackle those themes while telling your protagonist Avery's story? So Head Over Heels is a novel set in the world of Olympic gymnastics, and I wanted to write a celebration of gymnastics. I grew up in the sport. It taught me so much. I think it's a beautiful sport, and gymnasts are really strong. And at the same time, you know, knowing what we know about elite gymnastics in 2021 or in 2020, you you can't just write a celebration because we are aware that there are so many darker realities. Coaches and doctors and the people in charge of keeping gymnasts safe, they fail to do their job. And that has real world devastating impact on so many people, gymnasts, but also their families. And it was important to me to balance what the reality is of being an elite gymnast at that level, because that is the truth for so many athletes who are currently around today. I appreciate you doing that. I think male or female, however you identify, whether it be sports or music theater, there's a lot of toxicity in that world. That's when I came from. Or gymnastics, like you're talking about, we as children wrap our identities up in these really toxic environments, and that affects who we are, what we love, what we pursue as adults. I really appreciate you shining a light on that. I think with gymnastics, you know, I grew up as a gymnast, and I only have really positive things to say about my experience. But Even so, I can say that, you know, you are encouraged to be disciplined and listen to your coach and not really speak out, even if things might hurt or not feel great, or you're tired or you need a break. And that culture is so intense and so deeply ingrained into the structure of the sport that you can see why this was covered up for so long. So I am so grateful for the gymnasts who did speak out because they are just the bravest people in the world. Well, your protagonist in Head Over Heels suffers an injury at a young age, and it strips her of that identity and the life she always expected. If for some reason you were stripped of your ability to write, knock on wood, I hope that never (laughs) happens, (laughs) how do you think you'd react? What would you do? 
Well, first I have to say, I'm laughing that you say at a young age, because at the age that she was injured, that's the age that most gymnasts burn out. Like there's a reason that there aren't 35 year old gymnasts, like your body just breaks down at a certain point. And my body worked out at 17, 18, and I had to leave gymnastics. And so, you know, that was the center of my world. And I threw myself into writing. So there's always something else out there. Minus Head Over Heels, your books have been set in New York, and you announced your next one will be too. What is your favorite meet cute moment you've experienced living in New York? Oh, what a good question. <laughs> a really long time. Just the pandemic has been so, such a long, <laughs> such a long experience. Um, I would say maybe one of my favorites, I was once at a hotel bar with a couple of my friends and there were just these two men who walked in and were like, oh, they're cute. And we never thought like, oh, we're going to go talk to them, but they wound up talking to us. And then I wound up dating one of them for a couple of months, actually. And he was lovely. And you just never see that in New York, like meeting a guy at a hotel bar, you think like, oh, this is going to be sleazy and awful, but he was such a sweet, (laughs) kind person. That's my favorite thing about New York. The moment you step out the door, everything somehow matters. And whether or not you're creating that moment, you feel like a part of it. I actually just thought of a much, much, much better meet cute story. Ooh, tell me. Okay, I this happened years ago. I matched with somebody on Tinder and he instantly recognized me from, we worked in the same office building, not for the same company, not on the same floor, but we, he recognized me. And I went out with him I don't know, maybe like six times. And then I noticed some things about his life. His family was European and really wealthy and just like lots of little details that he dropped in here and there that didn't really add up. And I Googled him and I found out that he was a count. Like a real life count. Like, a, like with a castle and yes. <laughs> Wait, why did you only go on six dates with this human being? <laughs> Because this was the fall of 2016 and then the election happened and then we got into a huge fight about politics and I broke up with him and I sent him a long email encouraging him to donate to Planned Parenthood and the ACLU. Good for <laughs> you. The count is not worth it. The is not worth it. I'm going to count this, but I'm not. <laughs> that, I mean, well, look what happened to Meghan Markle. Maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> Well, now it's clear you've been called the real life Carrie Bradshaw, and I can see why after a story like that. And you've appointed yourself sort of the real life Blair Waldorf. Oh my God, that was years ago. (laughs) What do you have in common with those women? I think a lot of us identify with those iconic protagonists. So Blair Waldorf is a character that I loved so much in high school when Gossip Girl was on the air. And I used to go into New York where you know, I was living in the suburbs of Boston at the time. I was in high school, but um, I had family here and I would come like once a month and see like friends and stay with family and stuff. And I fell in love with the city so much. And I just loved Blair's take charge attitude and anything that she wanted to put her mind to, she would achieve it. She would go after it with all of her energy and all of her force. And I loved that sense of drive. And so I wanted to tap into that. And I wrote a piece for Seventeen when I was working there about my love for Blair Waldorf and how she inspired me to reach some of my goals. Although looking back, was she the best role model? Who am I to say? (laughs) Um, So yeah, that was that. And then Carrie, I mean, I think if you write about dating in New York City and you're single and you have a lot of shoes, I mean, how do you avoid the, (laughs) how do you avoid the comparison? But it's, I mean, it's a pandemic and mostly just for house slippers these days. <laughs> Fair enough. Why do you think both those women that are so iconic, like to this generation of love seekers, what about them appealed to so many of us? They went after what they wanted. Mm. And when you are a viewer watching at home, I think that's something really powerful to see. You know, they stumbled, they messed up, things blew up in their face. 
uh, Big went off to Napa and, <laughs> and Chuck, you know, sold Blair for his uncle's hotel. People make mistakes. Um, but I think like even those mistakes are really appealing because you can say like, oh, like their love lives aren't perfect. Mine isn't either, not at all. You know, and it makes you feel a little bit better because you weren't at least traded for a hotel. You know, they just like didn't text you back. That's true. I still don't understand how she forgave that. It's it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Well, I, it, that makes a lot of sense that they went after what they want. You are someone that has worked at so many publications that so many of us, you know, we watch The Devil Wears Prada and we want that life as young girls. We want to work for the crazy boss. I think at least, let me speak for myself, a little part of me kind of wanted that crazy boss and that experience so I could rise up the ranks and become powerful myself. How did you mold that life for yourself? I think so many of us struggle with where to start. I started interning and I think that's, it's, I feel so bad saying that now because, you know, internships just aren't really as available as they used to be. It's, it's such a messed up system. You know, like a lot of times you have to like pay for school credit to intern and it's just a really exclusive system that keeps a lot of people out. Internships are pretty much done away with at a lot of the big magazines these days. So I think now to get your foot in the door, I would say turn to local journalism. You know, if you want to write, start at your local newspaper, your local magazine, and then work your way up because I mean, I'm an editor and I hire people now. And the thing that I always look for is just, can you write? I don't care where you write for. You could be writing for your own personal blog. So I think that's the place to start. Well, as you mentioned, in addition to being a novelist, you're the dating editor at Elite Daily. What does that role even entail? What does a dating editor do? So I lead a team of editors and writers who cover single life, dating, relationships, sex, sexuality, breakups, celebrity dating lives, astrology. It's a really fun job. Um, and basically, I just want to make readers feel less alone in their own dating lives. You know, there can be highs and lows. And, you know, if we can provide some service and make you feel a little bit less alone and connect you with expert advice from therapists and dating coaches and sexuality experts, it's just an honor to be able to provide that to readers. What inside of you made you want to pursue a life creating connection? It fell into it. I don't know. I think I wanted a career that I could find some personal meaning in and have a lot of fun with. And, you know, when you go out for dinner with your friends, what does the conversation turn to? It turns to, you know, are you seeing somebody or what's going on in your relationship? And, you know, with your friend, the impulse is always to help. It's like, oh, like, let me offer you some advice. Or like, you're going through this, or like, I'm going through a situation. Like, what would you do if you were in my shoes? And to be able to do that at work, is kind of like the best job in the world. It sounds like you've become a professional best friend. (laughs) (laughs) Taking applications, slide into my DMs. Do you ever get sick of love though when it's your day to day and then we go out and we talk to our friends about it, we're talking to our families about it, the lack of it or the overwhelmingness of it? Do you ever get oversaturated? Yeah, I think that's normal. I mean, I'll pick up a thriller when I don't want to read another romance or I'll pick up a memoir. And I've been watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race just to, you know, I was watching The Bachelor, but just do a total 180 and just watch drag queens, you know, wear fabulous outfits. I think that's a great palette cleanser. I haven't seen this season. Who's great? Tell me. I'm watching old seasons on Hulu. I'm starting from the beginning. Okay. One of my best friends was on season 12. So look out for Jackie Cox. Oh my God. How fun. Yeah, she's pretty incredible. As an editor and a dating expert and a former matchmaker and a romantic comedy novelist, do you ever feel pressure to have all the answers? <laughs> um, I mean, I tell people I'm not an expert. I My job is to connect readers with experts, right? So that's why we interview therapists and matchmakers. I mean, I worked as a matchmaker. I was not a very good matchmaker, so I don't count myself as an expert in that realm. 
And I have questions in my own dating life. And that's when I turn to my friends, when I talk to my therapist. I think that's normal. I think everybody needs that outlet to, you know, turn to somebody else. Is that how you approached the job from the beginning? I remember being in my early 20s and being like, I know everything about everything. And then the more I knew, the more I realized I didn't know. Did you have a similar experience or did you know from the beginning you were seeking advice from others? I never wanted to put myself out there and say, I know everything because working as a matchmaker as my first job, it became very clear to me very early on. I don't know anything at all. Um, And then, you know, the benefit of growing up in the journalism world is that your editors will say to you when you're just starting out, you have to do interviews, you have to do reporting, you have to do research. So from an early, you know, early stage of my career, I was, I was talking to people who are much more knowledgeable in those areas that I am. And I've just learned so much. So always happy to keep digging into that. As a professional in the romance world, what romantic comedies have you been drawn to over the years? I'm going to say in literature because I am so behind on all of my movies. It's been a very long time. (laughs) But one that I'm reading right now, I'm halfway through, I think it's fantastic, is Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers. It tells the story of a very type A, uptight, career-focused woman who accidentally gets drunk and marries another woman in Vegas and wakes up and can't remember who she is. Uh, That sounds amazing. It's wild. I'm really enjoying it. It's also just beautifully written. Every line is gorgeous. So I love that. And then there's a book coming out in September, I believe, called The Charm Offensive by Alison Cochran. And it is a rom-com inspired by The Bachelor. But just imagine if The Bachelor was set that was just more inclusive and diverse and had great queer representation and mental health representation. Um, It's such a smart, sexy, funny, clever rom-com, so please keep your eyes out for it. One other that I loved that's coming out in May is It Had to Be You by Georgia Clark, which is sort of a Love Actually style novel that braids together five interconnected love stories all set in and around the wedding planning business in New York, and it's gorgeous. Oh, those all sound wonderful. Oh my God. Yeah. When when you talk about Honey Girl, was that the first one? Honey Girl. Honey Girl. It, there's a part of me that wishes I could fail or make a mistake that big in my life. <laughs> I t- truly, like when we are watching these films or reading these novels, I feel like there is a catharsis that exists through failure. And sometimes I feel like myself and so many of my peers we're almost failing because we can't allow ourselves to fail. Right. Yeah. You've never woken up married. Not not yet. There's always tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. Well, you may not be watching romantic comedies now, but was there anything as a child that you just love turning on over and over again, whether it be TV or film? I would rewatch Clueless forever. I think it's such a classic, such a great love story. As if. What was it about Cher that pulled you in? She was not afraid to be herself. She's really quirky. She's a little offbeat, but she is confident in who she is and she has great style. That's a good one. That's a solid one. Do you think there were any lessons you learned from Clueless specifically that you carried with you as an adult that maybe needed to be reframed or weren't the best lessons to take with you? Ooh. Um... Can I have a second to think about that? Yeah, let me tell you why I'm asking. A part of why um, I'm excited to do this podcast is I love the romantic comedy genre. I love love. And a lot of my identity, I feel like growing up in and outside of my relationships is based on what I witnessed. And, you know, now as a writer, there are so many flaws that I can see in terms of representation, gender-wise or racially, um, or just the lessons it's teaching us or what kind of uh, woman I thought I had to be. There seems to be a lot of shoulds and absolutes. So I'm wondering if 
you were fed any of those lessons and you had a similar experience or maybe not? Well, I don't know if it's just clueless, but I think really just any sort of happily ever after, like even dating back to watching Disney movies as a little kid, you know, finding love doesn't mean that your story is over. Finding love doesn't mean that you are necessarily going to be happily ever after. And it's also really important to throw yourself into pursuing other goals, you know, whether that's in your career or as a family member or as a friend or in your community, whatever, you know, gives your life meaning. Um, it's also really important to foster that side of your life because, the relationship can't be the one and only thing that keeps you together. That's very true. What have you done to figure out what that is for you? Well, I mean, I have always been really focused on my career. So that's something that gives me a lot of meaning and a lot of purpose and joy and satisfaction. I have started doing more like routines with friends. So, I mean, the pandemic has really changed this, but one thing that was passed down to me from my grandmother and my mom was the game of Mahjong, which is originally a Chinese game that has become very popular among Jewish women over the past hundred years. And I would always play with my family. And so I just, a couple of years ago, I got a couple of Jewish girlfriends together in New York and once a month we play at each other's apartments. And having that sense of community and friendship and tradition is really powerful. I love that. Is being Jewish a large part of your identity? I'm culturally Jewish. I wouldn't say that I'm religious. I um, am going to make like a little matzo ball soup for Passover, but I'm not going to do a full Seder. That paints a picture. I ask because I'm curious, what works in the romantic comedy genre have you seen reflect that part of you? To be honest, not a ton. Um, you know, I always want my books to be not explicitly religious, but always subtly Jewish. And it's there if you look for it. My protagonists are always Jewish women whose identity does reflect my own in the sense that, you know, you have this heritage, but it's not necessarily like a day-to-day -day part of, you know, how you connect to the world spiritually. And so that's something I always try to do. You have had so much success for someone your age. What are Thank you? you. You're welcome. Um, I really admire that in you. What are you looking forward to? So many things. The warm spring weather and things just getting a little bit safer coming up soon. But no, I'm currently working on another book. I am over the moon about it. I can't share too many details or really any details just yet, but I'm absolutely thrilled to be working on that. And what else is going on? Um, I'm moving and it feels like a fresh start just a couple blocks away, but just, again, it's important to have things outside your relationship or your career that keep you going. And so just, you know, decorating my new space, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, you get to nest. I'm so jealous. Yeah, it'll be fun. Do you ever feel pressure to have your own love life reflect these people you're interviewing or the women you're writing about? Is there a pressure there or is there a release? Uh, that's such a good question. It's hard to say. Um, I mean, my, my own life is not quote unquote perfect by any means, but I don't think you need to have everything perfectly lined up in order to date or to have a successful relationship. I have gone through stages you know, where I've been single or in a relationship. And I don't think that affects my career because I still want to tell stories about women's lives, regardless of what that looks like, you know, whether my protagonist is single in a relationship is figuring it out. And I'm kind of grateful for all those different seasons of my life because they let me bring different perspectives to my characters. So I, in a way, I think it's helpful to have all those different life experiences. Oh, 100%. I'm, that's so great to hear you embracing that. Thank you. Yeah. It'd be hard. But <laughs> I try. <laughs> I've been there. Please. I recently got engaged, but it was 10 years on and off. It honestly was a Mr. Big situation on and off with the same man. And too often 
I wouldn't take those offs to dig deeper into myself. Too often I would go, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And I think in the second half of the relationship, it was saying like, you know, who am I? What do I want? And reframing the narrative exactly like you're talking about. That's a really powerful shift. Well, we have some audience questions. Are you up to take them? Absolutely. Okay. Well, Gina from Ohio is curious. You've said your mantra is fortune favors the bold. What have you done lately that embodies this? Well, I got that from my number one icon, mentor, et cetera, Eugene Carroll, who launched that matchmaking company. Mm -hmm. And she's up to a lot of bold things lately. If you have not Googled her, she is one of the women who has a strong case against Donald Trump for sexual assault. Really? Yes. She's a very bold icon. I've not done anything that bolds on that scale ever. So I really admire her. Um, But one thing I've tried to embrace as bold lately is telling people exactly how I feel. And I think as women, we are often so socialized to hide our true feelings and, you know, twist it to protect the other person's emotions. And I think maybe it's just living through a pandemic, but I'm just sort of not doing that anymore. And if somebody does something that disappoints me or lets me down, I will tell them straight up. And it feels really good to take that power back. Oh, I love that. We've been watching all the Oscar nominations and we recently got through Promising Young Woman. And it's really been a, uh, there's been a lot of discussions in my household about uh, female empowerment and standing up for what you believe in and how far you can and cannot take that. So that resonates with me. Ellie in Astoria would like to know, where are the most romantic spots in New York City during COVID? Ooh, I would say, great question. Go to Aurora, an Italian restaurant in Williamsburg. They have a really beautiful garden, backyard area. And it's like all these like vines and lights and amazing Italian food. And you will not regret it. Oh, oh, that sounds like someplace you could write. I have a scene. It's in the works. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited for this next book. Okay, Landon from Sedona would like to know, what is the best dating advice you've ever given, received, or discovered? Hmm. Wow. Um, well, my mom is married. I mean, my parents together have been married for uh, 33, coming up in 34 years. And one thing my mom has always told me and my sister is love is not enough. You also really have to like the person. Mm. And I think that's really special. You know, this idea of this person, you know, it's not just about physical attraction. It's not just about that initial spark, but, you know, 34 years later, can you still be friends? Can you still have a good time together? So I think about that a lot. I think that's great advice. After 34 years, you witness your parents still really liking each other? Yeah, they hang out. It's cute. That's such a gift. It is. Truly. Oh. Well, Hannah, we've come to the lightning round. Oh, okay. Okay. What is your favorite season of Gossip Girl? Ooh, season two, episode one. Oh, nailed it. <laughs> what about <laughs> that episode? <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the vitamin water white party. Lady Gaga's playing in the background. Three words, eight letters, eight enemy yours. Blair wears the white Mark by Mark Jacobs dress. Um, I have no idea, but you are convincing me with all your details. I'm sure that's correct. We fact-checked. <laughs> um, what are your favorite toppings on your New York pizza? Oh, I want a, um, a margarita pizza. Currently, that's what I'm craving today. Mm, that sounds good. Okay, red, white, or rosé? White. Honestly, just made up that question because the pizza made me want wine. <laughs> if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, um, can I say flying? I think that would be terrifying, but kind of fun. Yeah, that sounds amazing. In a relationship, would you rather love more or be loved more? Ooh, 
Um, this sound, I don't think there's a way to answer this question and not sound a little bit chaotic, but I would say, um, oh, I'm going to pass. They both sound horrible. I don't know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Saying they both sound horrible. See, I'm someone that might embrace the chaos. So I, I hear that. <laughs> and then something we ask everyone here, what is the greatest act of love you have ever witnessed? Oh gosh. Um, you're going to make me cry a little. Um, my grandparents just both recently died a month apart and seeing, oh, thank you. I'm just like tearing up, but it's totally chill. Um, seeing the way that they took care of each other in the end was, um, really special. You know, I recently heard Stanley Tucci say that the biggest things we experience in life are love and loss and only one is guaranteed. And it seems like you have built a life full of so much love that you both get to receive and give. So in a life where love is the privilege, thank you for giving so many of us that. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. That just means a lot. I'm really grateful to have you today. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I'm such a fan of your podcast. So it's an honor to be here. Oh my gosh. Well, the next time it's actually safe to come to New York, please let me take you out for some white wine and pick your brain more. <laughs> I would love that. Last of you was on me. I would love to hang out and trade rom-com reps and hear all about everything that you do. Oh, just so grateful for her authenticity and all of her words she has put into this world lovely lady. I felt so lucky to be in the, well, Zoom room with her. And P.S. Hannah has the cutest cat, Eloise. I recommend you following her on Instagram to see her. I was lucky enough our cats actually met. And if you meet my cats, Harlow and Monroe, then I, I guess you're family. Thank you so much for joining us. This was such a fun week for me. Today, Hannah and I spoke about the film's Clueless, which I'm so dumb. Why did I not bring up Cher's Closet? It is iconically the best part of that film, and I have spent my entire adulthood wishing that I could have a closet like Cher. We talked about Gossip Girl, Sex in the City, Promising Young Woman. And in addition, we spoke about some romantic comedy literature like Hannah's Head Over Heels, Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers, The Charm Offensive by Alison Cochran, and It Had to Be You by Georgia Clark. If you are looking for some neat, cute romance this week, I would point you towards Not So Mistaken Identity. It's actually written by the head of development at Meet Cute, who's a brilliant writer. It's just a fun romantic comedy romp of mistaken identity. And I think it goes right along with the dating experiences Hannah was speaking on. Available still wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're looking up Meet Cute, why don't you go over to what she's having and rate, review, and subscribe us. I truly read every rating and generally cry. Um, some of you are saying the most beautiful things. And after that, DM us at Meet Cute on Instagram or at Listen Meet Cute and Twitter with those questions for our guests coming up. And in addition, just tell us your Meet Cute stories. I want to hear more from you. Talk to us. Hey, the pandemic's getting better, but it's still a little lonely. I'll talk to anyone. As always, I could keep talking, but no, that's it. Thank you all for joining us. I'm Ashley Eskew, and... 
I'll have what she's having. 